Welcome to our latest episode of Victory XR Online. And today our guest is Bernie Frischer. Bernie is the founder of Rome Reborn and he is a professor at Indiana University. And we're gonna talk a little bit about the virtual reality experience that, uh, that is Rome Reborn and, and uh, how long they've been working on it, uh, the impact it has in, in bringing history to the fore, and then also uh, what their roadmap is for the future. So Bernie, thanks for joining us today. And if you don't mind, tell us a, a little bit about yourself. Well, Steve, thanks for uh, inviting me. Let, me. let me start by thanking you. Uh, I was born in Cleveland, Ohio, and a long time ago, I just had my a very big birthday. Uh, and uh, I studied at Wesleyan University in Connecticut, got my PhD in Germany, was a postdoc at the American Academy in Rome for two years where I threw myself into the study of Roman archeology span and the history of the city of Roman antiquity. Then I got a job teaching classics at UCLA where I was for 28 years and I split my time evenly between Roman archeology span and classical authors, Greek and Latin. Then I, I got very interested in computing. I bought my first personal computer in 1981. I was one of the founders of the UCLA Digital Humanities Lab in the 80s, became director in the late 80s. And uh, I think my colleagues at UCLA started getting preoccupied with thinking that my hobby in computing would someday pass and I would get back to the main uh, reason they hired me, which was to teach the classical authors in Roman archaeology. But instead, it just got worse. So in 2004, I had the chance to go to the University of Virginia and be the director of a digital humanities institute. And I jumped at that opportunity. And then in 2013, had the opportunity to move to Indiana University and start a PhD program. And we'd been trying to do that at Virginia, but we couldn't get any buy-in from the administration. So it was really a great pleasure to find a university like Indiana that really wanted to support uh, this, the use of new technology in the humanities in a very big way. And uh, I think I'm in the best place uh, I could possibly be right now. So I'm really happy to be here. I started the company in 2016 to commercialize the kind of work we were doing in my university lab. Uh, of course, hiring people to make all of the assets that the university lab, you know, can also make, but we did it separately through the company to keep the IP separate. And um, to keep this short, I was contacted in 2000 and in 2012 by Palmer Lucky, who at that point was still a youngster, wow. just starting Oculus. And he asked if I would help him because he said he was doing it in order to allow people to walk down the streets of my Rome model, which I'd started making in the 90s. I'm sure we'll get back to that. And so I was alerted to the imminent arrival of uh, consumer level virtual reality. I'd been working on that at the university at UCLA since the early 1990s, but it was very expensive. And I could see it was coming, so I started the company uh, and to get ready for this uh, consumer revolution of VR, finally getting into the hands of people, into their schools and into their homes. Yeah, wow. Well, that's, uh, that's a big deal to be contacted by the founder of Oculus and uh, to have him personally introduce you to uh, the concept. So, so I love that. Uh, what I'd like to do next is to share my screen. So let me introduce a quick video that gives us an idea of what, uh, what Bernie is doing with Rome Reborn. And, and when you see the video, I think you'll be amazed. But when you actually put on a virtual reality headset and go into it, it's, it's the, the analogy I use, Bernie, it's like looking at a photograph of the Grand Canyon 
and compare that to standing on the south rim of the Grand Canyon and looking at its grandeur. That's the difference between watching this video, which you're about to see, which is amazing, and actually putting on the headset and going inside ancient Rome. So Tyler, would you uh, run this video for us? Thanks, Tyler. Bernie, uh, obviously amazing, amazing work. Would you talk Thank to you. us? Uh, first of all, two things. First, talk about what is encompassed inside your Rome Reborn product, virtual reality product. And then after that, let's talk a little bit about how you captured this. So why don't you start with the first question? Uh, well, Rome Reborn was started as a purely academic project and it depends how you want to date it. I had the idea to use some kind of technology to uh, get, get a model of ancient Rome into the hands of people. And I had that idea in the 1970s when I was a fellow at the American Academy of Rome and saw a great physical model that they had in a museum in a suburb of Rome. And um, as technology evolved, the way to realize that vision changed over time. First, it was a video disc in the 1980s, and then it was uh, 3D digital technology in the 1990s and beyond. Uh, and the way we uh, created Rome Reborn was, first of all, we um, were convinced that to have value, 
a reconstruction like Rome Reborn had to be scientifically accurate. So the very first step in that project and in any similar project that we do elsewhere is to put together a scientific advisory committee. And these are the best people we can recruit, the most expert in the, uh, in the culture, especially in its building traditions and its art and so on. So we put that committee together way back in 1996 and it had some very distinguished people, the heads of the two offices in Rome, for archaeology, for the archaeology of the city, and the head of Roman art at the Vatican Museums. And uh, those people helped us to uh, choose what period to, to show in the model, and they recommended that wisely, as I now see, to do the late antique period of the city, which was the peak of its development and the really the a period be after which Rome stopped developing further. So when we find remains today, it's usually from that period. So we have a lot more evidence. We'd all in a way like to walk down the streets of Julius Caesar's Rome, but that is very hard to find any evidence for. There, For one thing, there was the great fire under Nero, which really did happen, destroyed most of the city in 64 AD, so 100 years after Caesar's death. So there's very little of Caesar's Rome, but late antique Rome, yes, we have a lot of that. So what year they, is that, Bernie? What year is late antique Rome? So the, notionally, it's the year 320 of our era, 320 AD, or 320 CE, as some people put it. And um, the committee said, you know, there's really two kinds of evidence that we have in general. If you want to, we have a huge amount of evidence. Roman archaeology is the oldest branch of archaeology in, in the world. It goes back to the 15th century. So we, and, and it's very organized. We have encyclopedias and we have all sorts of reference works. But you could boil down the evidence into two categories. Class one structures, which we know a lot about. We know their design, their location, their name, their function. And class two, where we're lacking some of that important information. Maybe we have a name and a function, but not an exact location. Maybe we have a name and location a function, but we don't have the design. So those are the class twos. We know they should be somewhere, but and they should look like something, but we don't uh, have uh, all the detail we would ideally like to have. So that's the first thing. So then the question is, well, how do you make the class ones? How do you make the class twos? Class ones we made working with archeologists who had actually studied these monuments, which number about 250. And we're able to use the same software that an architect might use today to create a building from scratch, a new building, and to kind of reverse engineer it from its surviving foundations or, or, or fragmentary walls, because very few of those buildings uh, survive, unfortunately. Two that do are the Colosseum and the Pantheon. Those are our best. But the rest are degraded. Can we so pause there and, and talk to us first about the Pantheon? What are we going to see? First of all, what was the Pantheon used for? And what are we going to experience when we go into Rome Reborn? So let's talk about the Pantheon. It's, it's a great example of a class one building. We, we know uh, its name, its location. It, it still survives today very well intact. So what's Rome Reborn going to offer you that uh, an actual tour to the uh, Pantheon today won't uh, be able to give you? Well, first of all, we put it back into its ancient context. So the plaza in front of the Pantheon today is, has nothing to do with what was there in antiquity. We restore that urban context. Restoring the urban context allows us to raise an initial question of 
What is the Pantheon? Why was it put there? What was its function? What was its purpose? Well, that relates very closely to the part of the city in which it's located, which is called the Campus Martius or the Field of Mars. The Field of Mars is where the Roman army in the days of the civilian uh, citizen army uh, practiced its maneuvers. Uh, when Rome got a professional army, the Campus Martius came to take on other functions, but it always remained associated with Mars, the war god. And it was a place, therefore, later on when um, great generals or leaders died uh, on the field of battle, they were honored with public burials and public monuments. And so Rome's first emperor built uh, his family mausoleum uh, in the Campus Martius, and he also built the the Pantheon, which is the same size as that burial place, that mausoleum, and it's and the burial place is due north of the Pantheon. So this tells us a lot about the Pantheon. You might say, well, why don't we just know what the, why do we have to, why can't I just answer the question in two words what the Pantheon was all about? Because we don't have those two words in an ancient source. We have to infer it. And what we infer is that it was a kind of gateway to this area of monuments and commemorative um, uh, things like, like honorary columns to the departed leaders uh, of Rome, especially those uh, cel celebrated for their military uh, achievements. So, and so all that effort, all the work, all the years they put into there, really it didn't have a practical use like the Colosseum did. It was mostly, I don't know, de decorative. Symbolic, yeah. symbolic, religious. Yeah, absolutely. The gods are, could, you know, everyone is taught, or I was too, that the gods are, you know, the gods of the Greek Olympic pantheon, right. uh, at which the Romans had, they changed the names, but they had Jupiter and Minerva and Hera, Juno, and so on. But no, what we think those gods were, were the uh, deified emperors and empresses. Uh, and, and we have a lot of uh, reason to think that. So this was a gateway to the deified leaders' monuments in the Campus Martius. It's where they all could be seen and, and worshipped, perhaps, on certain dates. Uh, and we discovered uh, recently uh, the key date, probably, the birthday of Rome, April 21st at noon. The sun's light comes through that big hole in the dome and illuminates the doorway perfectly. It creates wow. a halo effect right around the doorway, it's amazing. And so- And do we see that in, are we able to see that in the VR experience? We are, we simulate that, that effect. Uh, so you can do that any minute uh, of, of any day of the year. You don't have to wait and go to Rome and wait for that big event to happen at noon on April 21st, the birthday festival of Rome. Let, let, let's transition to the Colosseum because everybody loves the Colosseum. It was just, you know, the, the first football stadium, uh, the first, uh, yeah. And, and we've heard, obviously, it's, uh, you know, you hear about the Christians fighting the lions. Uh, you hear about so many things the, that they, some people suggest it was actually filled with water to simulate sea battles. And, and you hear stories that, that uh, Rome would bring back great beasts from Africa and, and have them fight in the Colosseum while tens of thousands of people sat and roared. Um, what, what, what of these things are true? And, and how much of that can we, obviously not the actual events, but how much of the Colosseum can we see underground, above ground, et cetera? A lot of, of what you just said is true. Some of it is not true. We go into that. Uh, just to take an example, the flooding of the Colosseum to stage mock sea battles. 
That happened in the early years of the Colosseum, but very quickly they added the underground chambers below the arena floor where they kept the animals who were brought up to the arena level on elevators operated by slave power. Once they did that, they couldn't get the water out if they flooded it. So the latest thinking by the people who've studied it and who've consulted with us, especially engineer Heinz Besta of the German Archaeological Institute, is that yeah, there were moxie battles the first year or two that the Colosseum uh, was in operation, but then very quickly that was no longer possible. And we don't have records of that. And we know in another part of the city, there was a whole big pond built specifically for the mock sea battles, so they didn't need to use the Colosseum. Wow, that, that's extraordinary. That, I mean, what, that would have been what, maybe uh, BC? Seven, in the 70s AD, after, after Christ. In, but that, that's when the sea battles were going on, or is that later when they uh, finished off the, the basement? Uh, the, the building opens in roughly 70 uh, of our era, and they then started doing the lower, the so-called hypogeum, the basement level, uh, shortly thereafter, uh, within 10 or, or, or so years. So they didn't have the sea battles uh, very long. They did have animal hunts constantly through late antiquity. Uh, they, that's why they kept those animals down below. And they had gladiatorial combats, and they had, as far as the Christians go, the Christians didn't so much fight the animals in the arena. They were tied to the stake like other criminals condemned to death, and they were mauled to death. They were eaten by the animals. And there were other gruesome ways they executed uh, prisoners in the Colosseum. They loved to stage uh, famous mythological episodes like the crash of Daedalus, who tried to put on wings and fly up to the sun, but he made the wings of wax, and when he got close to the sun, they melted and he crashed down to earth. They would catapult to pour condemned man up into the sky, dressed like a bird, and then he'd fall down, break his neck, die, and everybody would find that very entertaining. And these, <laughs> the, the biz, most bizarre thing, and we talk about this from our modern point of view, is that these executions of criminals is what they did of all times at lunchtime, as though that was kind of a stimulus to the appetite. We would find it, you know, nauseating. Right. Right, that's crazy. And um, but, but what about the gladiators? Is that a real deal? That's a real deal. Uh, they had gladiatorial fights, fighting to the death, but not all gladiators, uh, you know, had to die. Uh, we have a lot of tombstones of gladiators. We can infer from the tombstone evidence the average uh, year of their death. And we can also find on the tombstone often recorded the number of victories, losses, and ties. You could lose more than once and still live to try again another day. So you didn't always die. And why didn't you? Because it was very expensive. Uh, when a gladiator was killed, the giver of the games, usually the emperor, had to pay the owner of the gladiatorial troop uh, compensation for the loss of this very valuable property. So the number of gladiators who were got the thumbs down and were put to death was always pretty small. Well, that's, so that's fascinating. Um, okay, so let's say I put on my headset, I go into the Colosseum, what, or I'm, out, I'm standing outside the Colosseum. What am I gonna see? What can I do? What, what should I experience when I have that headset on? So we, we're giving you a, a guided tour. I wanna get back to what you can do, the active, uh, products of our company, which are in a different category from the visit to the Colosseum or to the Roman Forum or uh, some, the Pantheon or the other monuments we offer. Uh, 
on a guided tour, you're not going to, you know, don the gladiatorial uh, armor and go and fight against another gladiator. But we do have a series of products that we'll be releasing fairly shortly called Historical Games. And the first one uh, is going to be chariot racing in the Circus Maximus, where you can learn how to drive the four horse chariot and you can compete against uh, non-playing character charioteers. We, the next one after that will be precisely the uh, gladiatorial fights uh, near the Colosseum in the gladiatorial training camp, the Ludus Magnus, the training camp right across the street from the Colosseum, connected to the Colosseum by a tunnel that still exists today. We take you through that through that tunnel. The wow. the Colosseum uh, also had all those animals down below, and they stayed in the cages. We think all year round they were always brought up to the arena level in the elevators to exercise and get fed and whatnot. Uh, but then when the gladiatorial events were held, or the events in the Coliseum were held, they included the uh, animal hunts in the morning, the execution of prisoners at the midday for, for the lunchtime, and then in the afternoon, the gladiatorial combats, where you had one uh, armed man uh, set against another, where they fought to the death, but as I said, they didn't always uh, result in the death of one. Some, some, sometimes, actually very often, the loser was spared. So we're going to be able to uh, participate in some of these. You're, you're going to in a, in a series of applications we call historical games, as opposed to the Reborn series, like Athens Reborn, Egypt Reborn, Rome Reborn. Those are applications of virtual tourism. So like a, a tourist experience today, you will go from point to point to sites of interest, listen to a guide, explain what you're seeing. That's what you would get from our Coliseum application. And as far as what you would see on it, besides the building itself and what goes on inside, outside the building, the first thing you'll see is why it's even called the Coliseum. Uh, it's called the Coliseum only starting in the Middle Ages. The Romans called it an amphitheater. Uh, so it's called the Coliseum, not because it's a colossus, but because next to it was the Colossus, the colossal hundred foot tall uh, bronze statue of the sun god. And we have, of course, put that uh, into the experience. And you start by seeing the sun god towering way up. Everybody who sees it, you know, is really awestruck. And then we explain what that's doing there. One of the amazing things about that particular statue, imagine it's a hundred feet tall, is that it was actually moved from one part of the city to another to get there. That's crazy. We, it's crazy. I mean, the Romans were, had just incredible engineering uh, talent and skills. Yeah. Let, me, let, me, let me just say, you know, one of the reasons I'm interviewing uh, Bernie here, Professor Frischer, on uh, our Victory XR online series is because our educational platform, VXR Direct, found it, vxr.direct, uh, has licensed the Rome Reborn content. And so we rolled it out first in April. And, and I can tell you, Bernie, I just, we went through the stats yesterday and it very popular. Uh, you know, yeah. we'll see if it continues to be popular because we first rolled it out, but it was a very popular download, uh, the various Rome Reborn products. And so, um, yeah, so for, for those that may not know about VXR Direct, it's $10 per month per headset. You have all of the Rome Reborn educational content, and then you have uh, uh, the Victory XR science content, and we're adding more all the time. So, so stop and take a look at that. Um, 
Bernie, let's let's talk a little bit about the roadmap moving forward. You you spent a lot of you spent a lot of years in Rome. What uh, what are you looking at moving forward? Someone had to do it. You know, I'm sorry. Yes, <laughs> I actually have an apartment there. I hope I with this virus I can get back there someday. But I had to flee on March 12th uh, after the announcement of the travel ban between the EU and the US. Uh, I hope to be able to get back to my old apartment. Uh, ahead of, of, of us is, first of all, more uh, products presenting experiences in ancient Rome. We're working on the Circus Maximus, the great uh, racetrack for horse, the horse races, the chariot races. We're working on the Ludus Magnus, that training camp of gladiators, and the, giving the, uh, our users a chance to uh, put on virtual armor and learn how to fight against a gladiator. Uh, we are working on the Baths of Caracalla, the great public baths, uh, and the sculpture from the Baths of Caracalla. We've signed an agreement with the National Archaeological Museum of Naples, which has these enormous, well-preserved statues found in modern times still uh, in the Baths of Caracalla. And uh, then we're working in places uh, elsewhere in the world. We're not, our company has a larger remit than just giving you Rome, which God knows is uh, a big enough uh, task, but we've just started Egypt Reborn and we're starting in the Valley of the Kings. We have wonderful advisors who are uh, uh, directors of various archaeological sites working for the Ministry of Culture of Egypt, including the director of Karnak and the director of the Sinai. And they are uh, opening the doors and getting us into places not even available for tourists to see. And they're writing the scripts uh, that we uh, used to, uh, for the guided tours that we will be offering. So we're going to start with the Valley of the Kings and go, go over to Karnak itself, currently great temple at Karnak. And of course, we'll do the pyramids and met much more in Egypt. This is just uh, in Egypt what we'll do in the next couple of years. We're doing Hadrian's Villa. This was a sort of Camp David, the Camp David of ancient Rome, a government retreat uh, 20 miles or so to the east near modern day Tivoli a 200 acre or so estate uh, built by the Emperor Hadrian in the second century of our era, and then used for at least 100 years thereafter by later emperors, a beautiful uh, gem of Roman art and architecture. And we uh, will start with the South Theater, which is on private property. You, you can't even, Hadrian's Villa is a World Heritage Site and you can visit the archeological park, but we're going to start with this beautiful theater, which is on the private property of the Bulgarini family, which has kindly given us access and permission to uh, make it public uh, this way. And from that theater, one of the reasons we chose that theater was that the backdrop to the stage was decorated with a beautiful uh, sculptural group of Apollo and the Muses, largely now still preserved and uh, something you can see in the Prado Museum. So we're reconstructing those statues and putting them back into the stage but showing you the whole theater and showing you the property the way it looks today. Uh, we are working on Athens Reborn. Our director of that project is the director of the American School for Classical Studies at Athens, Jennifer Niles, a very great scholar. We're gonna be starting with the Acropolis and we hope by early next year, we'll, be, uh, we'll have Athens Reborn, the Acropolis, and we'll go from there. We'll do the Agora, which is like the Roman Forum, the city center of Athens, and on and on, there's a lot we we can do and will do to present Athens. So I'm probably forgetting other things, but you know, yeah. our, 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 our mission in the company is to 
create applications, products of virtual tourism and time travel uh, to bring uh, the great monuments uh, of the world right to your home or, or classroom. If you were to describe, if you were, were to take 60 seconds and just 60 seconds and describe the awe of the experience, how would you describe that to those watching and listening today? Well, I just remember the first time I saw our model of the Roman Forum uh, in the VR headset, in the Oculus Rift. It was the summer of 2016, and I can still feel those chills going up and down my spine. I just thought, wow, you did it. I started this project. I had the vision for this project in 1974. I got started in the mid-80s, and it was a long, a long haul. But then when I could actually see this most you know, monumental place that was meant to impress, the Romans built it to impress, I was able to get that, that impression. The, the echo of that impression was something I could recapture through, as you say, the, the immersivity, the presence that only the headset will give you. That's, that's, that's perfect. Uh, last couple of questions. What headsets will this work in? So our, we're very proud that we say we're not, you know, we're kind of agnostic. I believe your company says the same thing. And we even support now smartphones. So iOS and, and Android, uh, tablets, personal computers. But in terms of headsets, the Google headsets, the cardboard, Daydream, we know a lot of schools have those. Uh, the Oculus headsets, the, uh, the Go, the Quest, the Rift, the Rift S, HTC the Vive, the HTC Vive uh, headsets, uh, the Pico, the Pico headset. So give us a new headset and ask us to port our stuff to that platform and we're happy to do it. Those are the ones that at the moment we support. And probably the Windows headsets, HP, Reverb, and some of those. Actually, honestly, not yet. We haven't been asked, but uh, okay. if, if you are asking, asking me, let's get our uh, CTO, CEO, Nathaniel Tavares uh, on the line and ask him to start on it. He'll do it very quickly. He's quite talented. I'll, uh, I'll talk to our friends at Microsoft and, uh, and, and see what they have to say. But um, yeah, so uh, I love it. And if one were to fly to Rome and experience all of this, you'd have to have an airline ticket, which is going to cost about $1,000. Is that right? Uh, yeah, at least. Uh, and the one thing I would say is, if you did that, and I hope you will do that, everyone should go to the Eternal City. Um, you, would, you would still not be able to get the full experience we can give you, because we actually give you the Eternal City the way it is today. We always get permissions from the Ministry of Culture to go and set up our panoramic camera and make an 8K pano of the sites that we present so that you can toggle from the, not, from the then view, the way it looked in antiquity, which is based on our 3D computer graphics reconstruction, and the now view, the way it actually looks today. So you don't have to go to Rome, but nothing beats going to Rome. We, we, we show you the way Rome is today. But the one thing you wouldn't get if you went to Rome today is you wouldn't see the way these ruins actually were, are supposed to look. They aren't supposed to look like ruins. They're supposed to look like a building where the Senate met or a temple where religious events took place or the Colosseum, place where the, these various uh, uh, entertainments uh, took place. And we show you that. So we take you back in time. Not only, we, we don't only take you across space, but we take you back in time. 
That's perfect. And, and so, yeah, if you flew over, say $1,000 for the airline ticket, what's a night at a hotel run in Rome? I, well, I think the deep, you know, the most basic level now is at least $100. And then, of course, on up, sky's the limit. So, yeah, so you're, you're talking close to $1,000 for hotel, $1,000 for airline, everything else involved, at least $2,500 to experience it. And, and now with, with Rome Reborn, at least on our platform, it's $10 per headset per month. And I think you can download it on some of the other platforms as well. So, so it's, a, it's a great experience. We would encourage you that if you, if you love history, if you love uh, ancient uh, Roman history, that this is the place to start. You'll understand Rome in a way that, that's never been possible before. If you loved the movie Ben-Hur, you will love Rome Reborn. And uh, some of you know Ben-Hur, some of you don't, but it's worth, it's worth giving it a look. So uh, Bernie, I'm gonna give you the last word. Well, thank you, Steve. Your company is filling a big uh, gap out there. We are in the stores of Oculus and so on. That's one thing, and that's aimed at the consumers who somehow find out about us. But you're taking our work where it's really intent, where it's really intended to be in the schools. And so uh, you're the only company doing that, as far as I know. Uh, we're very grateful to you for picking up our products, and we look forward to working with you. Uh, as uh, our company develops and turns out more and more products presenting other uh, great monuments around the world. That's great. We appreciate you working with us. And uh, for those who are watching and listening, uh, feel free to visit us at victoryxr.com. Learn more about Rome Reborn and uh, really take time to experience this. Bernie, thank you. And uh, we'll need to do this again in about six months. Looking forward to it, Steve. Thank you. All right. Appreciate it.